please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We'll be in chapter 5, looking at verses 17 through 25. As you do that, quick reminder that last week, Pastor Allen, uh, through the issues of widows, reminded us that Christians take care of one another. Tonight, the spotlight is back on our elders. Back on our elders. Did you know, humanly speaking, our church's ability to fulfill its mission in the world, to display Christ, to exalt Christ, to set captives free, in some sense, humanly hinges on these men. Who are these men? I'm gonna give you a hint. I know you've probably heard this joke, but if you take the guess, Mike or John, you probably caught about 60% of them. We have Mike Heron, Mike Phillips, Mike Ingham, John Franks, John Barrett, John Fender, John Price, just to name a few. There are many more. Although the spotlight back on our elders, all of us need to hear what God has to say to them tonight because your spiritual health and the spiritual health and direction of this church hangs in the balance. Let us read now 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we simply ask you this. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things out of your law. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Read with me now 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Amen. Imagine with me for a moment, you and a friend or a co-worker or a family member are out at lunch. You decide to go to farmhouse and you are ready to dive in to a burger and fries and a milkshake. And while you're waiting for that food, you and the person you're with are in a conversation. And as you're talking to them, you notice a shift in the tone, in the topic of conversation. 
Earlier, you were just shooting the breeze, talking about the weather, talking about local news. But all of a sudden, their disposition changes. And you know them well enough to know they're about to ask me something that's serious. I don't know what it is. What are you about to ask me, you say in your mind? Your friend looks at you and has a question for you. You attend that church downtown, right? First press? Yes, I do. They say, I've been thinking about visiting, but I have one question that makes it or breaks it for me. Is your church healthy? Immediately you say, yes, healthy. And then she go, he or she goes one step further. How do you know that? You pause for a moment to think. You open your mouth to say, our church is healthy because. What is your response? If that imaginary friend, if you were sitting in front of that imaginary friend, what would be your response? What would you say the reason our church is healthy? Is it that we have a lot of people who are members here? Is it because our church giving is normally pretty high? We have over 2,000 YouTube subscribers, a 200-year history. What is your reason for why you would tell your friend we are healthy? In verses 17 through 25, Paul gives Timothy then and us now a clear sign of church health. What is that sign? Church leadership. There is no healthy thriving, growing First Presbyterian Church of Augusta without healthy church leadership. There are two questions this text answers tonight. Why does church leadership matter for our church? And what church leadership matters, issues, need to be dealt with within our church? So let's jump right in. Why does church leadership matter for the sake of this body? In chapter 3, Paul describes qualifications for the elder. In verse 17, he describes what an elder does. Look what he says in verse 17. Let the elders who stop, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in what? Preaching and teaching. The elder is called to rule, or as the NIV says, to direct the affairs of the church, as well as to preach and to teach. He is not an event coordinator. He is not a businessman or a socialite. He is a man called by God to govern the affairs of the church and to preach his word and to teach the doctrine of this holy religion. That is the task of the elder. And in our particular denomination, we see a distinction in class. There are ruling elders, those who govern, whose primary task is to govern the church. Normally, they have jobs outside of the church. And then you have the teaching elder, those who govern the church, but who have been tasked and gifted by God to labor in preaching the word and teaching the word. And these men, normally called pastors, are usually full-time at the church. These men, together, 
govern the church, preach the word, and teach the word. Paul believed that what is preached and what is taught shapes a congregation. Look back in chapter 1. He talked about Timothy. Don't let people preach any different doctrine than what I've taught you. Verse 3. Verse 4, because it only promotes speculation rather than stewardship. Unfaithful teaching, unfaithful preaching can lead to speculation, can lead to ungodliness. It can destroy and upset people's faith. It can lead to division and strife, backbiting. It can dishonor Christ, and it can send people to hell. Church leadership is not a secondary issue. It is a primary issue because, again, humanly speaking, healthy leadership, healthy church. Unhealthy leadership, unhealthy church. In the early 2000s, America felt this shock wave. It will never forget it. The Enron scandal, one of the largest corporate scandals to ever happen in America took place. Enron was a, a major energy company out of Houston, and it seemed successful, worth billions. Everything was great until it was revealed that the company was engaging in accounting fraud. The company was hiding billions and billions of dollars of debt. In November uh, 2001, the height of stock shares were $90. By the end of November, those stock shares went from 90 to less than $1. And then the next month, this seemingly booming business was bankrupt. How could this happen? Various articles can be read, but it falls down to this. Listen to what this article says. Various researchers studied the company and reasons behind the downfall. The major reasons cited are improper trade practices, accounting frauds, corporate culture, and ethics in general. The source of all these reasons can be traced to unethical practices of the leadership. Later on, the article said, leaders have more power and influence as compared to followers. Leaders who have more power are more responsible for what they do. Greater ethical dilemmas and difficulties arise as power increases. This is why church leadership is important. As authority and power increase, so does influence for the good or for the ill. Elders in our church have been given authority by God for the good of the church. The role of elder is not simply a badge of honor, a social status. It is, as our book of church order says, a role of dignity and usefulness. And as a member, you have a right, a right to not only vote who should be an elder in this church, but also to nominate men who could fit this role. This role, this decision is a vital one. This is an important role that you play. So never engage in the process flippantly, haphazardly, blindly, 
Always know this, who you choose to lead matters. On Sunday, July 30th, we will install pastors John Fender and Ken McCurt to uh, associate pastor. You voted them in. And I ask you to come and participate in this service. Why? It is easy to see their installation to associate pastors as something about them, their promotion, their recognition, their respect, their honor. No, this text reminds us that their installation as associate pastors is not just about them. It is about your spiritual health and the health of this church. So my encouragement to you, mark your calendars, July 30th, come and see whom you have voted in and to come in with a fresh set of eyes, a new lens to see what goes down as God installs these men to serve for the benefit of this church. Leadership matters for the sake of our church. But now we gotta turn our attention to leadership matters in the church. Leadership matters and issues that must be dealt with. There are three particular leadership issues, matters that we must deal with. It's the matter of valuing your elders, disciplining your elders, and choosing future elders. And there's a common theme through all these issues. Elders are humans just like everyone else. They have struggles, limitations, weaknesses. Though these men are spiritual leaders, they need Christ and you, the church, if they are to be healthy. Let's look at the matter of valuing our pastors. Two issues are real struggles for those who have committed their life to full-time ministry. And I don't say this simply through um, observation. It is through experience, through talking to people. This is not secondhand information. There are two struggles people in full-time ministry have, and that is the ministry or the, the issue of worldly distraction, concerned about providing for themselves or their family, and the issue of spiritual discouragement. And what I, is what I'm doing really matter to the place that I'm serving? And Paul tells Timothy, we have to mitigate both of them. Look in verse 17 one more time. Paul says, the elder who rules well is deserving of double honor. What is this double honor? The first honor is simply this, worldly compensation. Compensation. Brother Chris, how do you know that? Look at verse 18. He grounds this and says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul goes back to this principle found in the Torah from the lips of Jesus that an elder who works and labors for the church deserves to make money by that labor. But the second type of honor is found not in, in the, the, the wording and the phrase, but in the, excuse me, the word itself, respect, honor. This aspect of honor comes, as I say it, from the word itself. Elders are men called and ordained by God to rule, teach, and preach. This is a sacred calling. It is a calling not from men, but from God. And for that very reason is deserving of respect. 
Paul believes that by paying your elders and respecting your elders, you keep leadership healthy because you keep your elders free from worldly distraction, from discouragement, and you empower them to do the work of the church. Now, church family, you would never imagine how far words of encouragement can take a minister. I want to brag on my young adult family back there. Um, a year ago this time, I was about to get ordained, and they know I love sneakers, and they know I was about to get ordained. So I'm still not sure to this day whose idea it was, but it was someone's bright idea to purchase me a new pair of kicks. And not just that. They wrote Romans 10:14 on there. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can they call on the one they've not believed in? How could they believe in him who they've not heard? They wrote those things on there, and then the young adult class was kind enough to sign every one of them to sign it on that shoe. And they handed it to me. This, they don't know this, but that small act of encouragement set so much wind in my ministerial sails. They showed me respect. They showed me honor. And I was ready to labor. Church family, not only do the young adults have that, you have that power within your grasp. Power to strengthen elders, power to set winds in their ministerial cells simply by encouraging them. And yes, I know we are supposed to, as, as pastors, to, to preach and to labor for the audience of one, but we just aren't perfect. And God, in His goodness to His pastors and to His leaders, He has given them a source of encouragement, and that is you. Your words, your acts of kindness, your respect, all encourage the pastor. Respect. So how have you spoken about your elders, your pastors lately? If they were to hear how you talked about them to those whom you are closest with, would your words encourage them to preach the gospel or hinder them from preaching the gospel? How have you sought to proactively encourage your pastor? And this is funny, coming from a teaching elder up here, it could seem self-promoting, but what I'm trying to say as I study this and as I've seen it, this is a real tool gifted by God to you for the sake of the kingdom. But not only encouragement, compensation, there is a direct link between your giving and the pastor's ability to do their calling. This application can go further than just the, the, the teaching elder. It can go to anyone in full-time ministry. Anyone who serves the church full-time, whether it's Hope for Augusta, CEO, MCO, foreign missionaries, children's staff, your giving frees them to do the work of the church. So is there a person raising support that you know of or that you've heard about? Give for the sake of the kingdom. Is there a person in full-time ministry that you know it keeps bringing up money, keep bringing up struggle? Engage them and figure out how can we position you for the sake of the kingdom. When you pay those in full-time ministry and when you respect them, you free them 
from worldly distraction. You free them to study God's word, to preach Christ and him crucified, to reach the lost, to counsel the hurting, to feed the sheep. You free them to preach Christ and him crucified. All within your grasp. Leadership matter number two, confronting our elders. Elders are to be honorably, biblically confronted when in habitual sin. Again, they're not perfect. They're not Jesus. So pride must be addressed, greed, abuse of, abuse of power, because the sin of elders affects not just them and their family, but the entirety of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul has firsthand experience in this. Paul has experience of elders who teach false doctrine. But Paul says in verse 19, do not, talking to Timothy, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is a principle of protection. This is found not only in, from Jesus in Matthew 18, this is found in Deuteronomy, and the whole point is to protect the person from personal vendettas. This is not to protect them from dealing with their sin. Understand that. Elders are easy targets for criticism, gossip, slander. And everything that is said about a pastor, y'all, just ain't true. So Timothy, Paul says, do not acknowledge an accusation if it is not substantiated by two or three witnesses. And I want to be clear. This doesn't mean, uh, oh, the pastor has to have done something to two or three people. What this means is, if a pastor has done something, and two people can say, this is worth looking into, that is enough. We must handle this now. When the principle of protection is followed and a pastor is found to be in sin, Paul tells Timothy, address it, handle it. Verse 20, for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Following Matthew 18, this rebuke in the presence of all is a last resort. If elders sin privately and you confront them lovingly and privately and they repent, praise God, enough said. But if unwilling, uh, the elder is unwilling to repent and continues after the steps found in Matthew 18 are true, then and only then must the church go to the last and most hurtful resort, which is public rebuke. And the result of this is that others will stand in fear. Not only other elders, but the church themselves. Fear of exposure, fear of embarrassment, fear of what sin can actually do when it has taken over in your life. And Paul knew this wasn't easy for Timothy to hear. So he's like, let me remind you, brother Timothy, son in the faith, I'm telling you to do this fairly and without prejudgment but you are in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ, and in presence of elect angels, he says in verse 22. Paul wants Timothy to address sin in church leadership. If sin is allowed to fester in the leadership of the church, people will be hurt and Christ's name will be tarnished. So Timothy address the sin of the elders honorably, biblically, but nevertheless, address their sin. That was a tongue twister. I didn't realize that. So, fellow elder, 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want this text to produce in you healthy fear, but also encouragement. I know the knee-jerk reaction when you hear this is that it could create fear. We want healthy fear. In your mind, it could be one wrong move and my face is plastered on this wall saying, he is a sinner, rebuke him, kick him out of the church. That is not what this text is saying. What this text is encouraging us as elders and all people to do is to repent and trust in the finished work of Jesus. The same advice that any elder would give any member in the church, any lost person struggling with sin, they themselves should do. Repent of your sin and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Fellow elders, let us be the leading repenters in this congregation. Repenting the quickest, the, the most thoroughly. And after repenting, turning, trusting, believing, and hoping in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is not just for our own spirit, spiritual benefit. This is to model what we preach to the very congregation God has called us to lead. It is to set what God hopes for his people. Not that God is calling you to a life of per, uh, perfection, believer, but he is calling you to Repent and trust in his son's work. So elders, it is not just a privilege to preach these truths. It is a privilege to embody them for the sake of Christ's name. And by doing this, we will keep the body healthy, focused on Christ, and growing in Christ. The last leadership matter we got to deal with is that of choosing future elders. We are constantly looking for men who aspire to the office of overseer. If we are to care for the leadership of the church and ultimately the health of the church, as a church, we have to patiently evaluate brothers who aspire to be future elders. Look at verses 22 through 25. Paul teaches Timothy that he should patiently evaluate future elders. He teaches that time is the great evaluator. Time will disqualify some, and time will qualify others. In verse 22, Paul says this, Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Timothy, don't rush to a decision about this. If you do that, and you ordain someone who is actually un qualified, you're going to have a mess on your hands. And somehow, in some mysterious way, you will be culpable. You will have responsibility in that. This is what Paul means when he says, don't take part in the sins of others, rather stay pure. Now, just like Paul does, I'm going to do this. Uh, Paul takes a, a small uh, deviation of sorts. He wants to talk about Timothy's health, which you could have argued this is another uh, aspect of church leadership, making sure your pastors are healthy. But Paul addresses the health of Timothy, and he says, uh, these ailments you have, stop just drinking water, drink a little wine with it, mix it together, it'll be good for you. He's addressing his health, but for the sake of time, we won't jump into that. Maybe do that little research on your own. Tell me what you hear. But after this quick digression, Paul addresses four groups of people. In verse 24, there's the first two. The sins of people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of other, 
appear later. Group one are a group of sinful men whose actions are obvious. Greed, anger, lust, whatever it is, it is apparent, and those actions immediately disqualify them. But then you have group two, sinful men whose sin takes time to disqualify them. Maybe they've gotten a little good at hiding their sins. Maybe they've gotten a little good with keeping things at the house. Paul reminds Timothy, if you wait, those sins will appear later. Their actions will disqualify them in the future. But however, the same can be true of good works. We see this in verse 25. So also God works, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Group three are godly men whose good works quickly show themselves to be true, and they show themselves to be qualified. They aren't drunkards. They are self-controlled. They know that they are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. They love his church. They love people. They want people to know him. They want this for the church, and immediately you say, this man has the character of an elder. But then you have group four of godly men where their good works just take time. To become evident. It's not that they don't have good works. It's just that it takes a little bit of time to see them. And what Paul says is when you take time to ordain men, you will protect the church from ordaining unqualified men, but you will also protect the church by not overlooking and ordaining actually qualified men. Patiently waiting for elders is a tool that is helpful for the church. It's not just helpful for the church. There are several other occupations that it's helpful for, one being a farmer. The farmer patiently waits for the crop. The farmer patiently waits to see the fruit of his labor. Vegetables, livestock, all of these things take time to grow. There are some fruits that take five to seven years. I saw something where it said 100, and I was like, that's got to be a fable. Like, that can't be true. 100 years for a tree to grow fruit? It is as if the vegetable and the livestock are telling the farmer, brother, I am in no hurry to be consumed. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm in no hurry to be consumed. What would it look like for the farmer to sow some seed one day and then the next day to hobble on out there and say, has it grown yet? Makes no sense. Patiently waiting is one of the farmer's greatest tools. But it is not just a tool for the farmer. It is a tool for the church. A tool that will help us assess leaders for the next generation. Time will allow us to see the character of men and to not be bedazzled by their gifts. The focus on the elder, both ruling and teaching elder, is about their character and not just their competency. And we have to confess that as a part of the American church, we are easily swept into this American ideal of what a pastor or what a spiritual leader is. We are more amazed at the successful pastor than the pastor that is godly. We, are, we give more weight to the pastor who has a lot of degrees behind his name than the pastor who is less educated. We give more respect and honor to the gifted pastor than the godly one. 
Resumes impress us. Greek, Hebrew, PhDs, books that have been authored. Those things impress us, not godliness. But there's nothing wrong with those things. We just got to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is that a leader in Christ's church is not just gifted by God, but he has characters that embody those found in 1 Timothy 3. First Presbyterian Church, leadership matters. I am personally appreciative of all the signs of church health at this church. There are so many positive signs that our church is healthy. The sacrificial giving of our members, members showing up Sunday morning, Sunday evening to, to worship the king, kids running through the hallways, nursery rooms bursting at the seams, church influencing the community in the larger church through those YouTube subscriptions. These are all good signs, but what I am most appreciative of is that you have elected godly elders, godly leaders who will lead this church forward in the future. Why am I most appreciative about this? The health of our church and our ability to fulfill its mission, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, hinges on these men. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Lord, you are so kind to give us what we don't even know we need. Father, we are in desperate need, whether we are a member, uh, whether we are an officer, a deacon, an elder, we need each other. Lord, would your kingdom come as we encourage one another and push one another towards uh, kingdom living. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.